Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting from the top of the Habern Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is WFMP-LP Louisville, 106.5 FM. And you can find out a little bit more about our station if you go to forwardradio.org. And we're live streaming now, so you can listen to our station on your PC, laptop, smartphone, from anywhere in the world. Folks, uh, we've got a great guest for you today. We've got P. Welcome, P. Thank you for having me. P is a uh, uh, community volunteer on the Brianna Taylor case. You know, Brianna Taylor, uh, the late Brianna Taylor is uh, right now the most famous person from the state of Kentucky, uh, killed in her uh, uh, own apartment by the Little Metro Police Department. some months ago, and of course, there's been uh, uh, a furious amount of activity around that case uh, here in Louisville. Uh, a lot of it uh, starting from an ending at uh, Jefferson Square Park at Six uh, and Jefferson, now renamed uh, Injustice Square or Breonna Square Park. So tell us, uh, P, what brought you to this case, this this situation involving the late Brianna Taylor? Well, I remember hearing about Brianna being murdered in March, right? Shortly after it happened. And then it kind of seemed like things died down. And then when George Floyd was murdered in May, and then all of the protests started erupting and they, in, in Louisville's was pretty big. I ended up qu- pretty quickly after a few days getting on the streets and figuring out how to get involved and, in, in and take what I've learned onto the streets. So, so I've noticed that uh, there are people from, uh, you know, a cliche from all walks of life, from all backgrounds, getting involved in this uh, uh, case that is uh, the marches are sort of multicultural. A lot of young people, but older people as well. A lot of the activities, uh, a lot of new leaders uh, being developed. What's the whole that, what's that whole social dynamic like uh, to a person like uh, yourself? The social dynamic, it's been really more of like a community. Um, the m- number of people from all different backgrounds that I've met, it's been, I don't, I'm, meeting, I'm meeting somebody new almost every single day on the streets. And the people that have been at the square like have almost become, like we've gotten to know each other really well. So it's a different community than when I've, when I've before I started to where I am now. What was interesting to me is, uh, uh, of course, there was a, a, a level of activity. Uh, 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 you, you know, of marching. Uh, you know, sort of con- poli- a lot of contacts with the police. Uh, you know, in sort of riot formations. Uh, sort of leading up to. Uh, uh, the attorney general's, uh, I suppose, statement and uh, how he dealt with the grand jury, and and then what was interesting to me, uh, just following the news and just going down to the square, there were people who got involved day of and after the uh, uh, Daniel Cameron statement. Uh, 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 
his decision because they were sort of sitting on the sidelines waiting for the process, as they say, to play out. And then when they saw how the process played out, they didn't like it. And so they came down the six in Jefferson. Wow. So that's that was fascinating to me. In other words, there were new people coming in then. Uh, and so that, that's interesting. So what, how, how do you react to that? It, it sounds like they were trying to do more information gathering before choosing to get involved. And it seems like since after the uh, AG decision came out that there was a lot of misinformation given to the grand jury and to us as well. And and because that was exposed, it makes sense that if people thought that was wrong, that it's now their time to step in and get involved. Well, the, the legal process was sort of interesting. That is, uh, you know, the, the attorney general, uh, you know, took over the case. Well, the, the Commonwealth attorney, Tom Wine, uh, he washed his hands like Pontius Pilate <laughs> and uh, he said, I don't want this. And then, uh, uh, essentially, the the, uh, the the United States Attorney for the Western District uh, 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 he essentially did the same thing, uh, uh, and 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 so turned it over to the Civil Rights Division of the United States Justice Department. So you have two high-ranking prosecutors; they both wash their hands, and then it goes to uh, Daniel Cameron who, you know, is the first Afri- African-American attorney general of the state of Kentucky. But interestingly enough, of course, ha- has never tried a case civil or criminal. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, he was sort of sponsored by, you know, United States Senator Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell says, you know, this is my guy, vote for him, and people vote for him. And so he becomes the first. And so black uh, attorney general of the state of, state of Kentucky. So very little experience, I guess, receiving advice from someone. And so uh, hands down, is it, uh, well, first of all, the whole grand jury process. And so if he never really makes an announcement that it's going to the grand jury, he never really says that. And, but then it's sort of a two-day grand jury process, and then on the third day, Wednesday, he makes makes a statement, and people are not happy. Uh, was it three or four counts of wanton endangerment against uh, Hankinson for firing into the dry, drywall? Not into uh, because none of his bullets went into Brianna, so he gets uh, charged with a you know wanton endangerment for assaulting the drywall. And and uh, Cosgrove and Mattingly uh, charged with nothing. Uh, people uh, not happy with that. So, um, how did you and the people around you react on that day? That was a Wednesday, as I, as, I, as I recall. Yeah, I mean, it was heartbreaking. A lot of tears were shed, and a lot of anger and frustration, and just feeling just feelings of hope, hopelessness. And a lot of like my, my BIPOC friends didn't feel like felt a lot, like they were, and what does BIPOC mean? Um, black indigenous people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, um, a lot of those friends of mine, uh, just didn't feel any safer. Um, felt like they were in more danger afterwards and just, 
heartbreaking. I don't, really not else, not many words to say. Um, I can't say we were surprised by the decision. It kind of seemed like leading to that, that Daniel Cameron wasn't going to bring about that harsh of charges even. So there was almost like we were expecting the news to come out. We didn't think it was going to be that, that bad, though. So... Well, uh, it seems like the attorney general really went out of his way uh, uh, to sort of clear any uh, uh, police officers of of uh, killing uh, Breonna Taylor. I mean, if he had had a little bit more experience, uh, I mean, it would have been so easy for him to hand down at least one count of wanton endangerment each for uh, 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 Cosgrove and Mattingly, but he just didn't feel like he needed to do it. Uh, why, I don't know. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's kind of a, a willful tone deafness to uh, what it is that people want. I mean, white, black, rich, poor, uh, that's not what the people wanted. Uh, as far as I see it, uh, the people wanted more than that. Uh, so, uh, and so, uh, where do we take that energy? What do you see as the next step? I mean, some people might be looking at federal prosecution, uh, of the officers, and also there's this this whole issue of the warrant, that is, uh, it's uh, it's just interesting. It seemed it seems as at least one or two officers involved in the case knew that the information on the warrant wasn't accurate. So at least two officers, you know, Joshua James, who, who actually you know wrote the warrant and took it to the judge to get it signed, and Mattingly knew that the information on the warrant wasn't true. And, of course, uh, the theory is that because the police officers had a, quote-unquote, valid warrant to enter the home, therefore, uh, when Kenny Walker fired his pistol, uh, they were entitled to, quote-unquote, self-defense. But, of course, if the warrant wasn't valid, then the police would, of course, be mere trespassers. and not entitled to self-defense. So, are, do you think that people are following this sort of mysterious and arcane warrant process analysis? I think people are following it, and people are realizing that that process needs to change. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's interesting uh, to me... Uh, I, the, that is, for instance, the Louisville SWAT team seems to think that the team that entered did everything wrong. That right. is, the SWAT officers seem to feel that. Uh, but it's inter- here's what's the thing is, this whole thing where the officer puts misinformation or half information on the warrant and takes it to the judge and the judge signs it, it seems to me that that's the way they do it all the time. It just sort of came out because the Breonna Taylor raid was so disastrous. And then when you have a disaster, everything is, is examined. But the way that 
certain people do things, that's the way they do it all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were probably to get all of Joshua Jane's warrants, the ones that he's filled out, you know, you would probably find that there are a lot of them with misinformation on them. Yeah. I was watching some video cam footage from the night that Brianna was murdered and it went or it showed um, a few miles away a SWAT team that was performing a raid and they were radioed in saying an officer was shot over at like um, in the Russell neighborhood where Brianna's place was and so that SWAT team stopped their raid and went to go help out um, where Brianna's apartment is and when they got there they the SWAT team realized that there was a lot of wrongdoing that LMPD was was executing like after an officer gets shot um, an officer needs to be like walked away with like another peer like you shouldn't be walking around the scene alone and there were videos like the SWAT team leader watch or notice that all of these cops were just walking around mindlessly like not sure what to do while there was a dead person in the apartment and the SWAT leader ended up making certain calls and commands for people to stand down and to like put their guns away and to stop having them drawn and then in the in the video cam footage, the SWAT officer like saw like Cosgrove still walking around in the apartment afterwards. Hankinson came up and was like, "What's going on in here?" Even like after that whole thing had happened, and an officer after a shooting like that is not supposed to go back on the scene. It's a crime scene, and so the fact that two of the officers that were involved in that shooting were still walking around the scene alone, and they were supposed to have a peer review, and that never happened. Like, um, I think. Uh, Hankinson ended up going to the hospital afterwards to check on, I forget whom. Mattingly. Yeah, yeah. and and it, it was just like, why was he alone afterwards that night? Like, there was a lot that LMPD failed to do that the SWAT team realized, like, this is wrong. Like, you guys need to go take care of yourself and check yourself. It's just, yeah, so I feel like that alone just shows how corrupt the whole thing was. And the SWAT team didn't even know the raid was being done as well exactly and so so you've got everything that could go wrong did go wrong and that leads to examination and so it could be that the reason that tom wine recused himself and uh, essentially uh uh the uh uh united states uh attorney from the western district did the same thing is because they don't want to examine the Louisville Metro Police Department because they're afraid of what they might find. And then if you find out all of these things, then what do you do? Mm-hmm. And so uh, particularly if you want to have a good relationship with the Louisville Metro Police Department. So uh, uh, it's like, uh, so so that's why Tom Wine and uh, uh, and the United States Attorney from the Western District said, hey, I don't want to, Again, I don't want to investigate this uh, because I don't uh, uh, want to see because once I see and then I'm uh, supposed to do something about it. And so uh, and so uh, now, interesting enough, of course, uh, you know, when Cameron made his presentation to the grand jury, he just said, well, we're not talking about the warrant at all. 
the feds are having are handling that. That is the the FBI, of course, is doing the investigation, and then they're supposed to take the results of their investigation to the Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department, which actually has a criminal section that uh, that deals with police and public officials that do things that are wrong. And so, uh, uh, so yes, uh, uh, so that's. It's fascinating as well that you've got people who just simply don't follow their own procedures. Uh, uh, and you wonder, you know, why they go to police academy in the first place if they're not going to do uh, the stuff that's in the manual. Uh, when it comes to, of course, Hankinson, uh, or Hankison, of course, uh he quit the Lexington Police Department and came up here, and they said, uh, do not rehire this individual because he can't be supervised. Uh, that's what they said, can't be supervised. So, uh, uh, so, and so you've got these people who, uh, 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 well, uh, you've got these people who, uh, you know, once you... Uh, are hired by a police department, make it through police academy, make it through your first year of probation. Once you come under union protection, unless you do something really, really wrong and get caught, you're, pro- you're, you're good for 20 years in a pension. Yeah. It's hard to get rid of you. And so unless you do something, again, really, really wrong and manage to get caught, those are two different things. Uh, so uh, And so being a police officer... Just an ordinary beat cop is a way better job, for instance, than being a buck private in the Army or a buck private in the Marine Corps or a seaman recruit in the Navy or uh, uh, an air, uh, airman basic in the Air Force. It's a way better job because if you're an airman basic or a buck private, the corporal tells you what to do and make sure that you do it. The sergeant tells you what to do and make sure that you do it. Mm-hmm. So, But the police department... It's essentially paramilitary in the sense that they 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 wear uniforms, they have uh, rank, uh, they have guns, but uh, once you get under union protection, uh, you can go for. And, and if you're not interested in getting promoted in particular, uh, uh, you can tell your supervisor to you know to to. <laughs> To, to walk away and not not bother you, and uh, 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 to put it politely, and uh, kind of good to go for twenty years. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, of course, Hankinson was uh, was making over one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year with overtime, not including uh, his off duty work. Hmm. Uh, so it's a pretty good job in Louisville. One hundred fifty thousand dollars a year is pretty good money here in Louisville, K- Kentucky. Uh, so. Uh, it's a pretty good job for a high school graduate because you're the king of the street. Once you, uh, you know, make it through the academy, make it through your one-year probationary period, and then come into union protection, you're the king of the street uh, for as long as you want to be. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, so as far as ordinary folk connected with the movement, what do they see are of the next steps? Where do we go from here? Uh, I think one of the biggest steps right right now is ending qualified immunity 
basically the unionization that keeps officers in the force after they've done something wrong. Because so qualified immunity is basically like an officer does something wrong and we try to fire them. They can appeal that and like still have their job or get off with a pension like what we've seen um, in, in this case. And to end that would basically mean that we get to hold cops accountable. That's a start. So that's sort of uh, well, it's just so uh, uh, interesting that uh, uh the city just completed its negotiations with uh, the FOP for a short-term contract. Uh, and uh, then this uh, contract, uh, the FOP is Return Order Police, and that's the local police union. So that's going to go to um, the Metro Council for approval. It's just, And there's a $10,000 raise in there for uh, starting officers. Now, what's interesting about that, I, I think it's gonna, it goes from like 34 to 44, something like that. Uh, and so you can find that out in the, you know, Googling it. Uh, here's the thing about that. I think public employees should get paid. But if the police are only the only employees in the city of Louisville that are getting uh, a $10,000 raise to start, that's a problem. What about firefighters? I mean, firefighters risk their lives uh, on a constant basis. And what are just regular city employees? The city of Louisville has been in austerity for, for years now, for years. And since 2013 or 2014, they ended uh, defined benefit pensions for city of Louisville employees. So a defined benefit pension is where you receive a certain amount of money until you die. Hmm. Now new city employees, all of them get 401ks, which is, uh, shall we say, not as good, uh, uh, a long way from being as good. So, uh, and so uh, to me, if we wanted to improve sort of the, the pay and benefits of all city employees, what we would do is go back to defined benefit pensions. Because for years, one of the reasons people joined the military and the police is, is defined benefit pensions. That is, you could serve 20 years, get a defined benefit pension, and then go on and do something else, right? Uh, so uh, defined benefit might be half of your top salary, whatever it is. It's just... Uh, uh, that's just a you know a guide there for the rest of your life. Uh, uh, so um, to me, and of course we're in a pension crisis across the public employee pension crisis because the state legislators didn't pay in as they should have, and so that's to me uh, telling all city employees, hey, what we're going to do, we're going to go back to defined benefit pensions. To me. That's something that benefits all city employees. And plus, once upon a time, to be a, a city employee in Louisville, you had to live in Jefferson County. Uh, and so they did away with that. And so particularly with police officers, got them living in surrounding counties because they're claiming that they're, they don't feel safe around the people that they serve. Since when? And if you don't, that's a problem. Yeah, that's a huge problem. And so... Uh, what do you mean you don't feel safe around the people that you're supposed to serve? If the people of the city of Louisville 
look up to you and admire you and think you're doing a good job, why wouldn't you be safe around them? Yeah. And so, uh, so that's an issue as well. Uh, that we do have a lot of uh, police officers living in the surrounding counties. Uh, uh, and so... Uh, Nick Pastor, former police uh, chief of uh, New Haven, Connecticut, said that a lot of police officers, talking about a lot of white police officers, were what he called suburban adventurers. In other words, they lived in surrounding counties, counties surrounding the urban area, and they enjoyed sort of kind of suiting up and, you know, driving the car fast and uh, uh, chasing people and throwing them down and that sort of thing, jumping fences and, and knocking knocking indoors. And uh, uh, that's what they think police work is. You know, they're suburban adventurers. Well, maybe we don't need that. Yeah, I don't I almost feel like we don't need that. Like if we think of like the people that we appoint to actually protect and serve us, like we vote in sheriffs, for example, Um we don't necessarily vote in police officers like police like our police department i mean they get funded federally and then they get local private donations too but it's like you know we can't vote out a police officer if they do something wrong like that's up to like the police department to decide what they do with them or whomever is in charge right so uh there is federal funding for local police departments uh just as a note uh well, historically, originally, the local police were not interested in the quote-unquote war on drugs, but the federal government started subsidizing them to get interested in it, uh, and up to uh, really a certain amount of money per arrest. This was under Reagan, so that's how you know, the local police got interested in the war on drugs. They were subsidized by the federal government to do so, particularly when, it, when, when asset forfeiture came in, which is where you're riding, you're on vacation with cash, and you get pulled over in some small town, and the small town cop says, where did you get this cash? And, and the small town police department, they just keep the cash and send you on your way, and you have to get a lawyer to get your, get your cash back. You have to prove that essentially that you weren't involved in any kind of illegal transaction. And people say, well, it would cost me so much uh, money to get a lawyer, I might as well let them keep the cash. Mm-hmm. So that's asset forfeiture. So uh, you have police departments profiting by taking the, the property of uh, private citizens and forcing them to get lawyers to get it back. So the war on drugs was turned into sort of a profit-making venture for uh, police departments. So, folks, uh, you're listening to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens. We're here with uh, P., who's one of the uh, sort of community volunteers who's uh, working on this, uh, uh, the Breonna Taylor case, uh, African-American woman that was killed by the Louisville police uh, some months ago. And that's become a national figure uh, in death. So, uh, P, uh, we're coming to the end of our broadcast. Uh, uh, what do you see as the future for the kind of folk, uh, you know, white, black, you know, uh, brown, you know, gay, straight and everything in between who are working on this case? What do I see it? Yes. As the future for this? Right. <sighs> Um, 
I I hope justice is eventually served and that systems in place that have been oppressing people for a while, that those will start to change and, and reshape how decisions are made so that it betters everybody. I, it's going to be, I feel like a long process to get there. Um, it's not going to happen overnight, but slowly but surely it'll happen. So, well, that's, I kind of feel, uh, I'm awed by the amount of people who have showed concern. I know a lot of people are are really frustrated by uh, where we are now with Cameron's decision. So I hope, uh, I mean, the attorney general's decision. So I hope that we can put pressure on the federal government to come in and do something. Uh, and I hope, uh, of course, uh, Sam Aguiar uh, and Lanita Baker of... Uh, are talking about uh, uh, special prosecutor uh, and new grand jury. So, folks, we'll see. Remains. This is, folks. I want to thank P for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. And this, you've been listening to On the Edge with K. A. Owens, and we'll be back next week.